Father God, we are so thankful that we have the, vac the victory in Christ Jesus. Lord, we thank you that we're not fighting for victory, we're fighting from victory. But when you said, Lord, it is finished, the victory was won. At the cross of Calvary, you completed it all, and then you gave us the victory. And we are called to go out and live out the victory and to rescue those prisoners of war who are continuing to unknowingly live under the sway of Satan. We thank you for the truth of God's word, which sets us free. And Lord, I pray that we would, as your children, that we would live our lives under your freedom, on your principles, in your victory. We thank you for this. Lord, we just pray for our nation. We thank you for this holiday weekend. We pray that it would stir up within us a greater love for our country and a, and a greater desire to preserve what you created. We thank you so much for the goodness you've shown us. You have blessed this nation. May we bless you in return. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. It's a great honor and a privilege uh, to have the guests that we have this morning. Um, we had uh, the previous service uh, was awesome, and we may have some repeat guests because if you were here for the first service, it was like taking a sip out of a fire hydrant, and I said, you can come back again and hear the second time. Uh, we have Miss Cynthia Dunbar with us this morning. She is an American patriot of Native American descent, is an author, public speaker, attorney, executive director of the National Resource Center for Education, the founder of Awakening Arise, a pro-life awareness and educational ministry. She is also a partner to BTND, a Texas law firm focusing on nonprofit and church law. She formerly served as a Virginia National Committee woman to the Republican National Committee, an elected member of the Texas State Board of Education, vice president of curriculum and instruction for global educational ventures, assisted professor of law and advisor to the provost of Liberty University. That's just a little bit. We got a whole lot more. I can't read it all, there's just so much here. Ms. Dunbar has been extensively involved in governmental relations and public policy regarding education and curriculum. In 2006, she was elected to the highly influential Texas State Board of Education. She was instrumental in preserving academic freedom in the biology classroom and restoring historical accuracy to social studies. It goes on and on and on. Her accomplishments have been garnered by both national and international media. Attention in the Wall Street Journal, PBS, NPR, Dateline, Dateline Australia, Norwegian International Radio, BBC Radio, and the London Guardian, and many others. Her work was featured in an article in the New York Times Magazine, as well as independent Tribeca film. She has been on Hardball with Chris Matthews, frequently seen on Fox News. By the way, I was on Fox and Friends one time. One time. One time. <laughs> <laughs> She's frequently on Fox News uh, and was a regular contributor addressing educational policy issues on Fox and Friends. Please give a warm welcome to Miss Cynthia Dunbar. What he didn't tell you is other than the conservative media, most of the liberal media was apoplectic that I was making the strides that I was. So how many of you know you can be infamous as well as famous? Um, so I just want to pray. Father, I thank you and praise you that you are here. Precious Holy Spirit, the doxa, the glory of God, we welcome you. 
We ask that there would be revelation knowledge imparted to our hearts, that you would enlighten our hearts and our minds, that any deception of the enemy cannot stay in this room, Lord, that you would make things abundantly clear, that only your word would stand and any chaff that I present would be blown away, that you would be lifted up, that you would be high and lifted up in your train filled the temple in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, I wanted to, really quickly, because I forgot first service, I have my husband and my daughter with me today, so just raise your hands. I'm like, and Dean, yes, Dean is an honorary family member. Um, so I'm just happy to have them with me. That's actually why we're in Texas, is because my kids had moved back to Texas, and so we were sitting in Virginia. I'm looking at my husband like, what are we doing? We want to go back to the land of the free and the home of the brave. So. Um, we had finished our work in Virginia, so praise God. But I wanted to share with you really quickly that the enemy comes to deceive and bring a spirit of confusion. It's kind of like screw tape letters, for any of you who've read that, where it brings those little deceptions, those little deceptions, though, that, that basically take us down a bad path. And I want to start out with one of the very basic ones. It's like we leave Christ on the cross saying it is partially complete. You laugh, but don't we live like that sometimes instead of the fact that he said, it is finished, finished. That is what grace looks like. Grace looks like the completed works of the cross to which we add nothing. And, and this is something we do. I mean, it talks about in Galatians, oh, you foolish Galatians who has so easily beset you. You started running the race well. And then what happened? So they started out being saved in grace, and then they went back under the law and to try to fulfill it themselves. And we know that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set us free from the law of sin and death, that we get to stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and we're not going to be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. But I like to make things kindergarten simple, because it's the enemy who comes to bring confusion. God is not the author of confusion. My people perish for lack of knowledge. It really upsets me a lot of times when I see how much deception the enemy has placed over our nation, which Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. And we of all people should understand who we are as Americans and the blessings that have been bestowed upon us because our nation and its foundings, we truly are a Judeo-Christian nation. And so I want to impart some of this to you. But also, making it kindergarten simple, I want to let you know abortion is not a political issue. It is not a subjective issue. And it is not a confusing issue. The enemy is the one who tries to make it that way. It's, it's really simple. Life is good. Death is bad. Okay, repeat after me. Life is good. Death is bad. How do we know that? Well, death is an enemy. The scripture talks about death as an enemy. It's the last enemy to be put over his, under his feet. What I love is the fact that he did. He put the enemy on public display. We get to rejoice because we're now not under the dominion of death anymore. Glory. Hallelujah. But this is the thing. We know that's an enemy. Who is the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? But Jesus said, I came that you may have life and life abundantly. Life is not a thing. Life is a person. Just like truth is not a thing, truth is a person. Jesus made it very clear. I am the way the truth and the life. 
Now, I want that to sink in because what you need to understand is this battle is the same battle, the epic battle that wages between life and death. And there's one side that advocates death and another side that lifts up and praises the person of life. And when a nation comes against life, it is not a thing they're coming against. It is the person of Jesus Christ. And I believe that God is calling us as the people of light when life and death resides within the power of our tongue to declare life over our nation to the point where the enemy has nowhere to hide, no state, no local jurisdiction, nowhere, life will be lifted up in every place in our nation. Now, and what I love too is God just makes, he likes making things kindergarten simple too. He says, you know, I've set before you life and blessings, death and cursing, and then he gives us the answer. Therefore, choose life that it may go well with you and your children, okay? Children are not a burden. They are not a liability. God always says children are a blessing, a blessing. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full. God always, think of the promise to Abraham. It was not wealth, although he got it. What was the promise? A child, and that your children will be, that his progeny would be as the sands of the sea. God means children is a blessing. Who's the one who opens and closes the womb? God. We know it all through scripture. There is no child throughout the history of man, despite the circumstances in which they were conceived or born, that has ever been a mistake or an accident. No child. He says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made in the image of God. If the child is being made in the image of God, how is that child dispensable? The human capital, think of the, think of from the foundations of the earth, they're calling an election is sure, and yet we go, no. And, and I mean, this is the thing. God wants to bless, he pours out a blessing. And I have seen people in the worst situation, you know, they talk about the exceptions, life except for rape or incest. Well, I'm here to tell you, abortion is not a merciful response to a bad situation. You do not add insult to injury. And even in the worst situations, although rape and incest, it's a red herring argument because it rarely ever happens. Most abortions don't have anything to do with that. But I remember when I was on a radio interview, and this was after a Ninth Circus case, and I'm sitting there, there are people in the queue waiting 15, 20 minutes to come on to ask a question, so I have no idea who's on there. And they ask me what they think is the ultimate question, but I don't shy away from the truth because I know him personally and I love him. So... I just press in to the truth. So they asked this question that they think is going to you know, trip me up. Well, what about rape or incest? And I said, well, you know what? I don't think we can be schizophrenic about that. Life is either valuable. Psalms 139 says that we're created, fearfully and wonderfully made, created in secret. And so that's going to be true despite the circumstances. And I don't think that you give a bad situation a worse response. You you give the opportunity for redemption and blessing. Okay, right after I said that, they brought this man who'd been waiting for 20 minutes, and he was, I don't know how old he was, but he was an older gentleman, and he, his voice cracked. 
because he and his wife had had the blessing of being able to adopt a son, and they had just celebrated his ninth birthday. And he said, we had an open adoption, and so the biological mother got to be there and see his birthday party, and she got to see the one good thing that came out of this child was a product of incest. He said, no one on the face of the earth can tell me or his mother that this child was not created by God. We need to repent. And by repentance, I'm not talking Old Testament sackcloth and ashes, thinking that God wants to come down and just in fire and brimstone. Jesus, how many times did Jesus say, you have heard it said, but I say to you? They said, no man has seen God. Well, we know that's not true because there's places in the Old Testament where you know, Moses spoke to God face to face. So what he was talking about, he was saying, you guys don't understand who I am. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God the Father was in Christ at the crucifixion, redeeming the world unto himself. Do we understand this? So God is not looking to rain down fire and brimstone. He wants redemption of all things. God loves his children, and he wants to bring us back. So I want everyone who's listening within the sound of my voice, who has had anything to do with advocating for abortions, had an abortion, a girlfriend, a wife, whatever, you're involved in it, whatever way, and the enemy has done one of two things, either harden your heart to where you've bought the lie that life is not precious, or you are so condemned and consumed with guilt that you can't get beyond it. I want you to know that God says he removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. He brings redemption to all things. There is no condemnation. No condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And I want to say to the woman who's sitting there who is barren and can't have children and feels like she has rightfully come under that because of the abortion, I want you to know that that is a lie from the pit of hell. And this time next year, you will be holding that baby because God is the giver of good life. He's every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. So we don't bring any condemnation. We believe in the grace, grace, grace of God. But I want you to also know that there is a biblical basis for proper government, and we need to understand this. When I said that, you know, um, my people perish for lack of knowledge, I've heard so many sermons about civil government, and, and you know, people are purposely kept in the dark. They are purposely kept ignorant about our nation and about the proper role of civil government. The enemy is the one who wants that. Because then he can get us down the wrong track. Because if we do it God's way, guess what? It's always going to be blessed. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. It's always going to be blessed. And so, but, you know, I've heard people talk about, well, government should do this and government should do that. I'm about to give you, and this is why he said you're going to drink from a fire hose. I'm going to give you civil jurisdiction 101. I've studied it three decades now, so put your seatbelts on because you're going to learn about the Constitution, the Declaration, all of it. Boom, here we go. So there is a biblical basis for civil jurisdiction. There's actually a biblical basis for every jurisdiction. And what is jurisdiction? That's just a hoity-toity legal name for a sphere or realm of influence. So we know that there is a personal, personal jurisdiction. We know, well, actually, let me back up. There's an exclusive area of jurisdiction that belongs to God. It says that God alone judges the heart. So we know we've got God is the one who determines whether or not 
we're saved, we're redeemed, all of that. That is God's jurisdiction. No man, no man can judge that other than God. Certainly not the civil government. Then you go to personal jurisdiction. Personal jurisdiction, choose you this day whom you will serve. What is that? That is why there are no grandchildren in heaven. We alone get to decide whether or not we're going to worship God, whether we're going to receive him. God did not make us automatons and robots where he forces his will upon us. We choose whether we're going to walk in relationship with God as our redeemer. Then we and that's why we have our First Amendment rights, by the way. There's a whole thing of a creator-redeemer distinction, and hopefully I'll try to remember to touch on that. Well, you know what? I'll just give it to you. So creator-redeemer distinction is the belief that all men are in relationship with God as their creator. But not all men are in relationship with God as their redeemer. And that's why we have First Amendment rights, where we get to worship God according to the dictates of our conscience. This needs to be understood when we're talking about the preservation of First Amendment rights. And, you know, they, they use a lot of times, well, we've got the no establishment or the establishment clause. That's also a right. As though they think that the right to not be offended is an unalienable right from God. It is not. So what in the world is that there for? It's there to prop up the free exercise clause of our ability to worship God according to the dictates of our conscience. And it's so protected that it says Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion. So that's what it's there for. And it makes sense when you understand that James Madison, who's the father of our Constitution, was a direct descendant of William Tyndale. So when he's sitting here talking about the need for preserving religious liberties, it's because he has a direct descendant who was burned at the stake for translating the Bible. Now you understand. It makes sense. These were primary concerns. Okay, so then we talk about um, familial jurisdiction. What is that? It's a role of the, of the family. What is the family responsible for? Well, a lot of things, but one of the things is train up a child in the way they should go. So that is not a role for the civil government to be determining homogenizing belief for our children, and it causes all sorts of problems. Same things with when you start talking about benevolence. The ecclesiastical jurisdiction, what is that? That's the realm of jurisdiction that God gives to the corporate body of Christ. Okay, so what's an example of that? Oh, I don't know. True religion, undefiled, to care for the orphans and the widows. So, and I've heard so many pastors say, you know, well, the right has it right in terms of life and marriage, but the left has it right in terms of caring for the poor. That is not a biblical worldview. Because you do not want the civil government being the one that's the benevolent person doling things out. I think of Reagan's comment of the nine scariest words in the English language are, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Now, you don't get a pass, just so you know, because that is our role as the hands and feet of Christ. We don't get to abdicate not caring for our neighbors who are in need. But when we're doing it, we will always do it way better than the government through redistribution of wealth and trickle-down economics. So then you've got the civil government. Well, the reality is, from a biblical standpoint, the civil government is the smallest jurisdiction of all of them. And, and this is how it's defined, as the terror of the sword for those who do evil. Okay, so police power, national security, all that makes sense. But who wants the terror of the sword telling our children what to believe and telling us to love our brother and take out your pocket and do redistribution of wealth? Do you see how messed up it is when we start doing things outside of God's way? It doesn't work. 
And yet there are so many people right now with a socialistic mindset of trying to figure out from a biblical way of how to empower the government instead of even asking themselves, should the government even be doing these things? That's the bigger question. So, um, Eric, so I stay on track. What is my time frame that I need to be? Okay, so let's keep going. All right, so the reason this is important is because there's a biblical basis. And when you're looking at that, you need to understand that um, how does our government function? Well, first of all, we're a republic, not a democracy. That's really important. That is not a semantic difference. That's a substantive difference. And I'm going to break it down again, kindergarten simple. What's a republic? A republic is an empire of laws. What's a democracy? A democracy is an empire of men. It's the Rex Lex Samuel Rutherford distinction, Rex being a king, Lex being the law. And they used to believe Rex Lex, the king is the law. That is man determining truth. And we now are republic, so it's a Lex Rex, the law is the king. Now some people could say, well, you know, I mean we're not a we're not a monarchy, so but we're a democracy. No, the difference is whenever man is determining truth establishing law, establishing what's right or wrong. It doesn't matter whether that man is a king, whether that man is an aristocracy, an oligarchy of nine justices, or a democracy of majority opinion. Think about throughout history how many times majority opinion has gotten it wrong. Just think of the Holocaust. The other thing that's interesting is people will quote Romans and they'll say, well, God's the one who establishes, you know, all the rulers. Like they think that Stalin and Hitler were appointed by God. No, there's a huge difference between authority and power. Power can be tyrannical. Authority is a very specific thing. It says all authority is given to Christ Jesus. All authority. So when they're not aligning with the will of God and they're operating in raw tyrannical power, we are not to submit to that. That is the whole doctrine of civil disobedience. It's why the handmaidens looked at Pharaoh and said, no, we're not going to kill the babies. It's the same reason why we exist as a nation. And you need to understand this because, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. We are a republic an empire of laws. And so that means that we have to know what is the supreme law of our land. Now, when you look at the supreme law of our land, we know it's the Constitution. The Constitution says it itself, that it is the supreme law of the land. But the Constitution is tied to the Declaration by a doctrine called incorporation by reference. And what that means is when one legal document is tied to another, you have to pull them together in order to understand them. It's like John Quincy Adams saying, you cannot rightly discern the Constitution in the absence of the Declaration. Well, we know that in the signature line where it says, in this our 12th year. So what are they referencing? Well, if you count inclusively 1776 to 1787, that is 12 years. They're referencing the Declaration of Independence. You see, the Declaration established a as a nation, the Constitution of the bylaws by which we operate. The Constitution being ratified did not override the Declaration. It only did the Articles of Confederation. You cannot override the Declaration when it is the document that created us as a nation. And if you question that, just read Federalist Papers Number 2 with Chief, Chief Justice John Jay wrote extensively about how the Constitutional Convention was to contain and, re, and preserve our union that it was created in the fires of revolution. So we know it's the Declaration, and we know the Declaration then is the supreme law of our land as the Constitution, but we don't stop there. 
The declaration says in the thesis statement, it says, when in the course of events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which tie them to another. Okay, what are they talking about? I'm jumping back to what I was talking about before. Civil disobedience. They're saying King George is a tyrant. He's not operating properly. Was he an elected, or not elected, but he was a monarch. He was a sovereign. But they knew that that did not mean he had proper authority. He was a tyrant. And so they were like, we're going to do civil disobedience. And we're going to separate from Great Britain. And then they said what they were going to do. They were going to create a nation and a government doing what? They said the basis of our government is to secure these rights. We're going to look to the authority. And, and he says, and to secure these rights. I'm sorry. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you have something you want to give away. So I just surrender right now that what you want to say is what goes forward and nothing else. You need to know this because the primary thesis statement of the declaration is hardly ever taught. So I don't want to jump over it. Almost always they start in the second paragraph, and that's very important, and I'm going to go to that one. But you need to know that what is the thesis statement of any document, that primary statement. So they're declaring to the world civil disobedience, and they're declaring to the world what they were going to do, the experiment they were going to do, which is why they said when in the course of human events it becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which tie them to another and to acquire from among the powers of the earth that separate but equal station to which the laws of nature and nature's God entitle us. Now, what in the world are the laws of nature and nature's God? A lot of people will say, well, that's natural law. No, it's not. They're not the same thing. If you look at that term, Blackstone, who wrote extensively in Blackstone's commentaries, he was the second most quoted individual at the time of our nation's inception. He was the predominant jurist of the common law, and he wrote about the laws of nature nature's God. He said, you can never put that in tandem or competition with natural law. And this is the reason why. He defined the laws of nature and nature's God as the will of our maker, as revealed through the Holy Scripture. The will of our maker is revealed through the Holy Scripture. And he said, you can never put natural law, which is only what man perceives God's will to be, in competition with the laws of nature and nature's God. Now, I want to ask you a question. When they drafted our declaration, they chose the words laws of nature and nature's God instead of natural law. Does anybody in here think they were cavalier about the words that they chose and put in that document? So they knew they were all reading Blackstone. They knew they were saying that they were going to create a nation and establish government with the pursuit of the will of our maker as revealed through the Holy Scripture. Now, I had taught this for several years at the doctoral level before one day I was driving from an event and I heard the Holy Spirit say, Cynthia, where have you heard that before? And it hit me because the impact is so powerful. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You see, I no longer believe that our nation was birthed in the minds of brilliant men. I am convinced it was birthed in the heart of a loving God. Amen. Now, 
You jump from that if that doesn't impact you enough. And you go to the second paragraph. We hold these truths to be self-evident. What does that mean? Those are obvious laws. That's why we're a republic. There are certain laws that are so obvious to everyone. They pre-exist any civil government. Things like we all know murder is inherently wrong. So we, these self-evident truths, what's one of them? that all men are created equal. Okay, created. So that's the point of conception. This whole issue of viability is a misnomer because even before they had the medical know-how, they knew from a place of right or wrong that at the point of creation, we were endowed by our creator with what? Certain unalienable rights. What's an unalienable right? A right that you can neither take, can't be taken by anyone, you can't even give it up because it's given to you by God. And what's the first one? Life. I did mention that liberty and the pursuit of happiness are actually tied together, and, uh, and maybe at some point I'll come back and teach on that, because it's very, very important. It's very important, um, and it's also tied to biblical truths. But the reality is life was the primary one. Now get this. They go on and say, and to secure these rights. What rights? The unalienable rights they have just talked about. The purpose and function of a legitimate government is to do what? To secure these rights. Governments are instituted among men. So let me ask you a question. Just before the Civil War, there was a big debate about slavery, also an unjust law. And they said, well, this is a state's rights issue. You gotta let it go back to the democratic process to allow people to choose was not a state's rights issue because there are just and unjust laws. So we've been told right now, and I do praise God for the overturn of Roe. I praise God for that. But let me just ask you, is abortion a state's rights issue to go back to the states and the jurisdictions to determine whether or not we think the unalienable right to life has to be secured and protected by every government, federal, state, and local? And this is the problem. The church sits here again because the enemy has purposed to keep us unaware of the truth of the structure and proper function biblically of our government so that we cannot be the voice. Why is that important? Because we said the power of life and death resides within the tongue. If all authority is given to Christ Jesus, why is that relevant? It's relevant because that is his inheritance. And guess what? We are joint heirs with God. What does that mean? Legally, if it's in his inheritance, we inherit with him. So that means who's the one with the authority to declare a thing and it shall be? The body of Christ. But if we're not declaring that our nation is completely delivered from this blight of abortion and this affinity to death and the devaluing of life, we don't see the shift. This is a spiritual battle. I want you to know, as much as I know everything about civil government and being elected official and all this, this is not a political legislative issue. This is a spiritual issue, and the people of God need to be equipped for this warfare. Now, I want you to know, we do not wrestle with flesh and blood. So I am not coming after any person. This is not us against them. That's what the enemy tries to do of dividing brothers like Cain and Abel. This is literally we wrestle against spiritual wickedness in high places. These demons of darkness that push for death, they have to bow the knee to the person of life.
Now, I'm going to give you two quick things because I never like to give a lot of heavy, weighty stuff and leave you without hope because God says he gives you a hope and it needeth not to be ashamed. So I've been praying and praying and praying for years, Lord, bring the next great awakening. And there's a biblical blueprint for awakening. In the book of Haggai, we know that the prophetic word of the Lord through the prophet Haggai came to two people. It came to Joshua, the high priest, representing what? The ecclesia, the corporate body of Christ, the church. It came to Zerubbabel, the governor of Judah, representing what? The civil government. Why is that relevant? Because when you have prophetic revelation that the word of the Lord is giving to us today of the value of life, that life is not a thing, it is the person of Jesus Christ, and that revelation comes into church, what do you see? You see revival. When it comes into the civil square, what will we see? We see reformation. And when revival gets coupled with reformation, whereas it pours over to the people of the land, you see an awakening and a nation can be changed in a day. So I am declaring and decreeing because um, when we ended up coming to this area, we thought we were coming for a season to rest and hide and nobody even know where we were and all of that. And we got here and Dean's son had texted a friend of mine, a mutual friend, and said, well, does Cynthia know that she's coming to the birthplace of the legalization of abortion? And honestly, I have to confess, Dean, I kind of blew it off. I was like, oh, whatever. I just did an event two years ago in Dallas with Norma, you know, the whole thing with Norma McCorvey and Roe v. Wade in the Dallas courthouse. And we set a clock declaring that abortion would be wiped off the face of, of America before for January 22nd, 2023, which it is going to be in the name of Jesus. And um, so that clock is going on our website. Please, when you leave here, go to awakeningarise.com because we want you all to be engaged in this. But I kind of blew it off until another friend who didn't even know where we were sends me an article from the Washington Post. Well, I honestly never read the Washington Post. Wonder why. Um, and so I, w- I was unaware of this article. But it was all about this man, Dr. Curtis Boyd. I don't know if any of you know him, but he is from Athens. And he is lauded as the father of the legalization of abortion in America. And it caught my attention, and the reason why is because he was used by the precursor to Planned Parenthood and other groups to, there were women from around the nation who were coming to his clinic here in Athens it's, it's, you know, measured that it could have been the 10,000 plus women from around the nation coming for these experimental abortions pre-Roe before he went to Dallas. And all of a sudden I was like, oh God, you just set me up. You have literally landed me on the epicenter of the taproot for the legalization of abortion. And I already said I thought this was a spiritual issue. And God is going to take the axe to the root. And the, all the blight and the blood, because how many of you know the blood of Jesus Christ louder than the blood of Abel? The negative, the blight, all the negative in this area. And I I just believe that the enemy has a type and a shadow and a sense of the good that God's going to do and birth out of this region. And so he has overplayed his hand to bring darkness and death. But you know what? He is going to be defeated. And so what I see, and when Ingrid, when you saw the sea of people, this is what I saw, a sea of people worshiping God. We're doing a night for life on July 22nd, 2023, from dusk to dawn, 
be there. It is going to be epic because we're going to have the children of light lifting up the person of life during the hours of darkness, taking over dominion. God inhabits the praises of his people. It's going to be something like this nation has never seen. We have all sorts of worship bands from around the nation and locally. We're going to be lifting up the person of God. It says that the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Think of Jehoshaphat sending forth the praisers first. We are going into serious battle and we are going to see the dominion of death bow the knee to the person of life and the next great awakening arising from Athens, Texas. In Jesus' name. Amen. Praise team, come on up. Father God, we thank you so much for what you are doing, what you have already done, what you're going to do. And Lord, we... I think the, 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 the biggest we can dream up pales in comparison to what you're doing. You say you can do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever ask or think. We know that you, God, desire that all men, women, boys, girls be saved, that your truth go forward, that your freedom moves forward. We thank you that that's your heart, so if that's your heart, that's your will, then what keeps it from happening? It's us. You use people. You could have written the gospel message across the sky through the clouds. You could have posted your holy angels all around this planet and, and had them declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you chose us church that we would be the hands and feet of Jesus going out sharing the good news of Jesus Christ but also this great nation which you birthed it's ours to preserve it's preserved upon the truth of God's word that great foundation stone of Jesus Christ standards and principles of your scriptures
God to touch your life in any way, shape, or form. Our prayer team will be at the front. You, you come and, and visit with them. They'd be absolutely thrilled to pray with you. But whosoever will, as many as will, would you just join me at the altar praying for our nation, praying for this event on July 22nd, praying that, that the God of our hearts would be the God of this land. Amen. So let's spend some time in prayer as we worship. We, we know that worship, as, as Cynthia said, that Jehoshaphat sent out the praise team first <laughs> before the soldiers. So both are going on at the same time. Wrestle not against flesh and blood, but spiritual hosts of wickedness in high places. Satan's always trying to play king of the mountain, but we are seated with him in the heavenly places. Amen. Far above any of those demonic actors, if we will unite with him and join with him. And he says he inhabits the praises of his people. So as we worship him, let's pray together. And uh, let's just, let's just, Allow God to open up our understanding, our imagination, and allow us to dream of what he can do. Uh, just, just, just do that even right now. Let's do that. Allow God to open up your imagination. What would it be like to truly be one nation united under God? lined up under his authority, his standards, his principles, his truth. Could you, could you just imagine that? And then can you ask him for it? Because he said he can do 